Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Midwatch. Uh, I know it's been a, uh, about two weeks since I've uploaded a podcast. Uh, I've just been really busy uh, at work, um, and I'm getting ready here to transfer duty stations halfway across the country, um, so that's taking up a lot of my time. But we are back uh, in full effect, and I have uh, this podcast that you guys are about to listen to, and I have another one that will be going up uh, later on this weekend. Two great guests, um, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear both their stories. Uh, usually you guys hear me kind of um, plug some businesses uh, in the beginning of each podcast, and I kind of want to change the way I do that. I've kind of done some soul searching, and uh, of course my phone goes off as I'm trying to record this, um, but uh, I kind of want to change the the way I handle that. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Originally, when I started this podcast, obviously I had the hopes and dreams of, you know, eventually getting sponsors and, and you know, getting the Midwatch discount codes on various websites. But um, that's not what I want to do with this. Uh, this podcast is not for me. It's not for my personal gain, um, nor has it e- ever been. But my priority for this podcast is to get stories out there of people who are doing great things or have done great things that you may never have heard unless you know you heard it here on this podcast. And that's my sole mission with this podcast. So I'm going to use the time, you know, in the beginning of each podcast to kind of plug um, companies or charities that are kind of uh, sh- or that share the same mission that I have for this podcast. Um, if you are finding a way or if you are seeking a way to support the podcast, um, a great way to do that would be to head over to www.bzgear.net. Uh, that is my personal company. Um, if you happen to see something you like, obviously it'd be greatly appreciated. You know, go ahead and pick up a t-shirt, pair of sweatpants or some other merchandise that we have on there. Um, and you know, that will be the only way to possibly support this podcast. Um, other companies that I want to put out there that are, that are doing, uh, that are doing something I, I feel are important is a organization or, or charity, um, 22 kill.com. Um, they, uh, are pretty well known for the 22, uh, pushup challenge that, uh, kind of went through social media like a few years back, um, I still see it here time to time, um, and they support, uh, you know, helping uh, mental health for veterans. Obviously, the twenty-two number uh, symbolizing the twenty-two veterans um, a a day that that commit suicide due to mental health, and their whole organization uh, goes towards fighting that and, and and helping veterans through various programs that they offer. Um, so I would greatly appreciate it if you went there and, and checked out their calls and kind of spread the word because um, it's uh, when our soldiers and Marines, sailors, airmen come back home from combat, um, you know, their their war overseas might be over, um, but when they get back, they start a whole new war here um, with themselves. So uh, that's something that um, sh- should be spread. Um, and it's definitely something that, you know, we can do as a country to help, uh, help our service members out. Uh, lastly, 
is Flipside Canvas. Uh, I do not believe that they are, you know, out and, and operating yet. Um, but it's a company, a, a canvas company. They make great artwork. They have, uh, you know, patriotic line. They have some other various lines um, of beautiful artwork uh, that is on canvas, obviously, various sizes. Um, and it's actually owned and operated by Dakota Meyer, um, who is a Medal of Honor winner, um, Marine. So uh, definitely head over there. Uh, I'll put the link in the description of this podcast. And, uh, you know, go, go over there, check them out. And definitely support uh, Dakota Meyer um, and his company. On this episode of the podcast, we have someone that uh, I worked with um, a couple years back, uh, Tom Rushing. He uh, was a, uh, an FMF corpsman, um, and uh, he did a couple tours over in Afghanistan. Um, and it was a real pleasure talking to him about his experiences um, before, during, and and after the service, um, and I really hope you guys enjoy this podcast as much as I did. Uh, so, without further ado, we're gonna get right into it. All right. So you've been out for about like a a year now, right? A little over a year. Yeah, a little over a year now. All right. And you're doing? Are you doing concrete and paving, or just concrete, or? No, actually, I work for um, <clears throat> I work for uh, Alston Construction. They're at a large construction firm that does um, commercial buildings. I actually don't, perf- I don't, we don't really self-perform. It's all, um, basically we just oversee the entire construction project from turning dirt to um, tenant turnover. Okay. So you guys are like subcon or not subcontractors. Uh... No, we're the general contractor. G- general contractor. There you go. That's the yep. word. Yeah. Yep. Okay. You guys hire subcontractors, right? That's how that works. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. All right, cool. Yeah. Cause I was, before I was in the Navy, I was in the uh, pipe fitting union for like four years. So I kind of, I kind of know how that works. Yep, we got a, we got a couple of those that work for us. <laughs> uh, are unions big out there, out west, or? Um, it's about fifty-fifty. I mean, you get a lot of subs, and you got a lot of private. Mm. Uh, or, I mean, you got a lot of um, you have a lot of union. We have about half union, half half sub, or I mean, <laughs> half uh, private. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, cause I, I grew up in Jersey, and, and that's where I worked. And unions are yeah, still, you got, still pretty up there, strong unions up there. Are huge. Yeah. Yeah, unions are big up there. Definitely not as big as we used to be, but they still hold a, a decent chunk of the work. <clears throat> yeah, they just get too expensive to use out here, and they're they're too expensive. And there's a lot of private companies that do a lot better work, and that's usually what we tend to lean towards. True. That's that's I, f- I feel like that's kind of like the problem with with uh, unions is like, um, I mean, you think you're overpaid you, for the work they do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, because they dollar for dollar they they I'm, cost too much. I mean, they have fees and they have all this other stuff and. I mean, they take it out of their pay, and they—I mean, it just costs you know, dollar hour for an hour for a you know, if you're going to use a union guy and a non-union guy, your union guys be making quite a bit more typically, depending on his trade. Oh yeah. And then yeah. we got our other subs that we use that are non-union, and you know, they're cheaper to use, and they have more to take home at, at the end of the day. Right. I mean, unions—they try to keep you from getting laid off, but right. you know, it is what it is. It just depends on the economy market. Yeah. Or if they if you have them work over forty hours, they charge you like crazy. Or I know like we made oh yeah the minute or we went over forty hours, we made time and a half, and then double time at nights. Like no matter what, that's like that's what we had to get paid. Yeah. Oh man, you should <laughs> the amount of if you if I was union right now, I'd be fucking stacked up like a <laughs> boss right now because the last um I mean this is part of the interview or no? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're I, I like to yeah, I, mean, I like to just roll. <laughs> all right. So I mean um. 
you know, I mean, we do, I mean, we do huge commercial tilt-ups. I mean, the building that I'm on right now is just, it's 805,000 square foot. Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty good size. We, we, originally, this building, um, the tenant we had looking at this building was uh, Polaris. Um, they were looking at moving over here. They actually ended up taking a property out in Fernley because mm-hmm. they're closer to a railroad spur. But, you know, <clears throat> the economy's doing pretty good out here where I'm at. Um, I work with a couple big agencies, um, Callisters. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but they're the second largest pension fund in the world. Okay. Um, Did you mean Pol- Polaris, like the uh, like the dirt bikes and stuff, like quads? Yeah, and- oh, okay. the side by sides and all that. Yeah, um, they were looking at the the site that we're building on right now. But we have another tenant that's that's uh, pretty much a, a go-to right now. They're 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 really eager to get into this one. Um, <clears throat> You know, we we turn out a pretty good product here. I mean, we got a lot of a lot of high end high end stuff, and you know, we do stuff with like Kellogg's and um, and so the company I work for now. I mean, they have the development side, and that's Pantone Development, and then we have um, Olsen Construction. It's it's all pretty much the same company, but it's like we're like a subdivision of um, Pantone. Is there? Uh, we're the. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go uh, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, is there like a lot of um? Like industries like moving to where you're at? Is that why there's your building? Yeah, there's. <clears throat> yeah, I mean Reno's booming right now because of um, a lot of the economics that are in California. We have a lot of um, companies coming from California to Reno. Mm-hmm. Um, one Reno is a huge distribution hub. I mean we're kind of like Salt Lake. I mean a lot of things come out of Reno. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but I mean we did one for uh, one of our clients. They manufacture crackers. Um, I think they have. Um, they actually brought some more ovens in, but they have like the second largest um, oven conveyor system in the United States. It's uh, I think it's just shy of 500 foot, so it's a it's like a 500 foot long oven, basically. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I mean they're I mean they crank out crackers like it's nobody's business. <laughs> how far How far is Reno from Las Vegas? I'm not too too familiar with with like, um, that area. <clears throat> All right, there's two ways you can go. I mean, you can go through California, which is a lot more scenic. You can go through, like, Bishop and uh, Mammoth and stuff like that, or you can take a straight cut. Or you can take, like, uh, you can take the 95, and you'll hit, like, um, Fall- or Fernley, and then you'll hit Fallon, which is, you know, Naval, State- Naval Air Station there. Okay. And then you drop pretty much straight south. Um, from, Reno, from Reno to Vegas, ballpark, it's kind of around about seven-hour drive. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, well, Las Vegas, or Nevada is a really big state. A lot of people kind of forget that. I mean, it's a huge state, but there's a lot of barren areas. I mean, there's not, there's signs all over the highway like, hey, stop for gas now, next gas is 100 miles or 100 <laughs> plus miles for gas. So, you know, when you're driving, you got to be kind of cognizant of how much fuel you got going. I say the only two, like, places I really know is just Reno and Vegas. Like, and they're both on, like, the west part of Vegas, right? Or am yeah, I Yeah, they're... Um, Las Vegas is um, really far south is the furthest southwest that we have pretty much as far as a big city goes and then Reno's actually further west than um, Las Vegas but it's way up north okay we're about in that um, right where the state kind of dog legs a little bit right in that Reno Carson area it's all part of Washoe Valley Washoe County okay and is that where you uh where life started for you, like even before the Navy, was that area? Or? No, no. I um, <clears throat> I grew up in, uh, or actually, I was born in uh, uh, Lancaster, California. It was a little, 
the little butt crack of uh, California. It's kind of a kind of s hole. <laughs> not not the not the prettiest place, but um, you know that's where I was born. I lived there until I was about three, and then uh, my dad moved out to uh, Las Vegas while my mom stayed back behind in uh, Lancaster. Um, he got um, he used to own like a painting company and stuff, and um, he came out to Las Vegas just for you know better job opportunities and um, housing was a lot cheaper. Um, Las Vegas was a good place to live back then, before all the crime got really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> then we moved out there. I was about four years old, I think, three or four. Uh, moved out there, and then I spent pretty much, I mean, the bulk of my life up until I there. Yeah, the bulk of my life up until I joined the military. Um, growing up in Vegas, man. And how, how old are you? I'm 28 now. Oh, okay, so all right, we're the same exact age then. Okay. Yep. I actually had a uh, my my best friend to this day. His dad lived in Vegas when we were. Hmm, I don't even know when that. Probably like early 2000s. He used to always go out there and, and spend the summers out there. Out in Vegas. All right. So, um, what was high school like for you? Did you play any kind of sports or? <clears throat> any, any, were you yeah, man. Yeah. In the yeah, chess club, anything like that. <laughs> uh, not chess club, bro. <laughs> um, I played. Uh, uh, let's see. I think age five, I started doing. Um, I started doing wrestling at five, and I continued that all the way up until my my freshman year of high school. Uh, I think around that same age, around five or six, I started playing baseball. I played that all the way up into eighth grade. Um, around age seven is when they start playing tackle football, and I played that all the way through high school. Um, I was actually really good at football. Um, I actually had some um, scholarships to go play at some uh, D1, D1 schools. Um, I had some big plans to go play some football and stuff, but, you know, I was kind of immature and wasn't ready for the college life at that point in time. And that, that really, honestly, is kind of what led me up into joining the military service because I made a lot of mistakes as I was growing up and trying to become my own person. I made a lot of foolish mistakes, and and that those mistakes were kind of the mistakes that led me towards, you know, trying to geared me towards getting away from Las Vegas and like the, the group of people I used to be with and um, kind of wanted to change things up a little bit and um, start anew. And I figured the military was about the best way I could do that. Well, that's awesome, man. That's, that's really uh, kind of, so did that, um, the, you know, those mistakes and stuff that you, that you spoke of, was that something that happened kind of towards like the tail end of high school or was there kind of a gap um, gap in between uh, high school and, and military, or? No, I think uh, I know. I started kind of going leeward when once I got to about eighth grade, I started getting a little wild, um, a little bit wild for my age, you know. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, once as high school progressed and stuff, I got more into partying and hanging out with chicks and you know doing stuff like that, you know. Like, the, the typical story of, you know, you're like kind of blowing your chances at doing something good with yourself. Gotcha. Um, because you're kind of self-centered a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's kind of where, that's where that all kind of led me up to. And then, you know, I, I was supposed to play my senior year in football and that's when I was supposed to do stuff. And that's all the colleges that I was looking at going to. Um, they're like, Hey, you know, you, you, you've been doing great. You know, we've been watching your film and everything else. Everything looks really, really good. We're we're waiting to see what we're going to do your senior year. And I got into a little bit of trouble uh, my junior year. Um, I mean, I played varsity football since I was a freshman, 
um, at Shadow Ridge, and they went to state that year. And then, um, you know, I mean, I, I had a lot of things going for me, but I screwed it up because, you know, I wasn't mentally, I wasn't mature enough to handle all that stuff. And I just thought I was going places, and I really hadn't set a solid foundation yet. <clears throat> did Did you think maybe, um, you know, since you kind of uh, started playing varsity, you know, so early in your high school career that you kind of, you know, got like complacent, like oh, like I already got it made kind of thing. Yeah, totally, totally. I got it. I got a. I, you know, I my head bloomed up, man. I was like, oh, I'm going places. I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow all you guys out of the water. I'm gonna do something with myself. You're gonna see me on the big screen one day, playing for the NFL, and uh, you know, I kind of let that go to my head a little bit, honestly. Um, <clears throat> um, but I, I mean, I had I had great parents, and my dad's always taught me to kind of you know stand up for the rights that you do and the wrongs that you do. And I was screwing up pretty bad towards the tail end there. And, uh, you know, it was one of those days when my dad came home and he's like, Hey man, you know, you need to kind of, you need to fix yourself. And I was like, yeah, you know, I agree. Like I'm fucking up pretty bad. And I don't know if I can say that. Yeah, it's but fine. You're I, good. Was, I was, yeah, I was, I was, I was making some stupid mistakes, you know, young, mm-hmm. stupid mistakes. And, uh, my dad's like, I need you to get some help. You know, like they, they tried their best to help me out and, it didn't really work. I was never disrespectful as a kid, you know, like I never, you know, told my parents to F off or anything like that. I didn't get buck with them. Um, but I made, you know, again, I made really stupid mistakes, you know, and um, I ended up going to rehab. <clears throat> I ended up going to rehab up in uh, Sorensen's Ranch, uh, Utah. And uh, uh, it's a little t- little podunk town called uh, Kusharam. Super tiny. And it's a, uh, it's like a rehabil- uh, rehabilitation program, and you basically work on farms. You break horses. I mean, shit, they had buffaloes, cows, horses, pigs, chickens. You had to learn pretty much all the trades of the trick of working a big farm. You know, I mean, they're, a, they're a big organization out there. Um, <clears throat> so was that in between, you know, uh, like in between school years when you went out there, or was this after high school? No, actually, um, I was in uh, – I was going to a football camp for my varsity or my senior year um, varsity school uh, camp. And uh, <clears throat> that's when my dad confronted me. He said, hey, we need a big change, dude. You need to step up and fix yourself. Um, I went out there. Um, I actually was credit deficient when, before I went out there. And this program is kind of like at your own pace. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to get out of there. I, want, I didn't want to stay there. The place sucked. Uh <laughs> Funny story, I actually tried to run away from the place. Didn't pan out for me. Got arrested <laughs> by dudes on horseback with guns. It was crazy <laughs> shit. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Wow. It was pretty crazy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I got out of there, and you know, I'm, I came back home. Um, my parents were pretty proud of me. You know, they're like, hey, you know, we're glad you straightened your shit out. Um, what are you thinking about doing now? What's your next move? And the whole time I was in there, I just kept thinking of, you know, back in, you know, 9-11 happened a long time ago. Uh, at this point, and it happened when I was in like sixth grade. I remember seeing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm embarrassed to say it where I saw it at, but I was in band. I was in band class. Fucking, <laughs> nice. It was embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in band class, and I remember. Um, I remember my sixth grade uh, band teacher's name, Mr. Yancey, and uh, he he was like, "Kids, kids, stop playing your instruments. You know, we gotta we gotta watch this thing." Something just happened to America, and like he turned on the TV, and I just remember seeing. Um, I think it was the second plane that I saw um, hit the tower, and that just stuck in my 
you know, stuck in my, you know, you can relate to this, the brain housing group. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> stuck in my brain housing group for the rest up until that point. And I was like, you know, dad, I was like, think about joining the military. And, you know, my family's got a long, rich history of um, service members. Um, my mom's side of the family, uh, my grandpa, his name is Charles McCusker. Um, he's got six brothers. His mom was an immigrant from Mexico and her husband was, uh, he was actually a chief in the Navy as a corpsman, which is oh. pretty badass because I ended up becoming a corpsman later on in my, you know, it, as soon as I got in, I, I ended up becoming a corpsman myself. And I thought that was the coolest thing. I was like, man, I've seen the old pictures of my great grandfather, um, the Cusker, and he's got his freaking dress blues on and, you know, he's all decked out and ribboned up. And you know, I was like, oh, this is pretty freaking cool. Like, I'm going to join that class of people. Um, all six of my grandfather, um, my grandpa Charles, um, all six of his brothers served in Vietnam, um, including himself. Uh, he was a chair force guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, you know, his brothers, um, if you break it down, there was like, I think, two army guys, um, and then the rest were Marines. And actually, um, uh, Bobby and Wayne, his brothers, they were in the first special forces. Um, that's when they stood up the, uh, not first special forces, but that was when they, um, started up the, uh, the UDTs, the frogmen. Uh, yeah, I think it was then. Yeah. Hmm. It would not the frogmen. It was the, uh, Oh dang. I honestly, I can't remember what it was, but they were like the first group of guys to go through that training program. Um, they went through, I've got, I mean, almost every one of those guys, except for my grandpa, because he was chair force, they've all got purple hearts. Um, oh, wow. You know, um, I think Bobby was the one that got messed up the most. He did the most tours. Um, he's got four four or five purple hearts, I can't remember. Um, my dad's dad, um, he worked for Lockheed Martin when they built the uh, SR-71 Blackbird. He was on that project. He was one of the engineers for that. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know, I got I got a huge, you know, almost every, uh, my Uncle Charlie that works down in uh, Las Vegas for, <laughs> it's weird, I got my Uncle Charlie that works down in Las Vegas for the same company I'm working for now. I actually work for my dad up here in Reno. Charlie's our senior out of Las Vegas. He was a Marine. Um, during um, Vietnam or, or, or? Not during Vietnam. Okay. I think he was, he was after Vietnam. He's not that old. Gotcha. He's about. I think he's about 52 or 53 now. Um, I think he, he might have went, I don't know if he went to Desert Storm or not. Okay. But he was still a Marine. You know, I, I have a lot of family that was military, especially on my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family. So when I told my dad, hey, you know, I'm going to get in the military and see where it goes from there. And, you know, he was like, hop in the truck. I'll take you down to the recruiter's office right now. <laughs> so you so you finished uh so you finished high school at that that ranch thing that you that you're talking yeah. to me about? Okay. Yep. Um, yeah. And I'm so, assuming uh, I made up like a year and a half of credit deficiencies because I skipped a lot of class. My football coaches basically helped me out until after football season, and after that, they kind of dropped off the map, and so did I with school. Okay. So. So did you? I mean, I'm assuming we're the same age. Did you graduate uh, 2008? Or no, I actually graduated 07. 07. Okay. All right. So I graduated 08. All right. Um, so you did that and then you came home and then that's, you pretty much, you know, said to your parents like, Hey, I want to join. Um, so you're essentially, you're still like 18 at this time. Um, 
No, I was actually uh, <clears throat> I was actually seventeen. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I was seventeen. Um, I was seventeen when I got out of Sorensen's. Um, that took me down there. I, I mean, I worked for my mom. She owned her own um, consulting firm for doctors' offices. Sorry, I had to wrangle my kiddos. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, I I got out and worked for my mom for a little bit. Um, then I joined the service. Um, the whole time I was, <clears throat> after I got out of rehab, I was um, talking to a girl I was really good friends with um, through high school. We're always really, really good friends. Um, you know, I told her about what my plans were. Actually, ended up getting her pregnant before I got in. <laughs> hence my first, her, hence my first kiddo. Um, <laughs> Um, so I had, you know, I, I locked that down, um, and she's always been, I mean, she's always been my, my best friend. I mean, I, even to this day, we still talk about everything, you know, we're, we're like best of fucking friends, you know, um, best friends is still married, which I should say is kind of a, a good thing. It's kind of rare now. Right. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, I joined the service and embarked on that journey. So is this still 2008 or are we, or, or I'm sorry, is no, this, this still 2007 was, um, or are we in later? It was, this was like almost 2008. This was like the tail end of 2007. Okay. Um, I joined the military um, December of 2008. Okay. Um, me and Tiffany got married <laughs> the first part of 2008 in December. <laughs> what's your, what's your, what's your anniversary? If you don't mind me asking. <clears throat> Uh, it's the six, uh, the six, and then I shipped out for boot camp on the sixteenth. Oh, my my anniversary is the seventh. It's Pearl Harbor, December seventh. <laughs> yep. Yeah, my I think my grandpa's birthday is December fifth. <laughs> so like, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So did you um, uh, kind of stepping back when you originally went to the recruiter's office, um. Did you uh, go knowing that you you know you wanted to be Navy and, and be a corpsman since it's kind of it was in your family or did you kind of just go um, and, and whatever office you saw first is the one that you walked the, into? <laughs> I would say the first recruiting um, office I went to was the uh, the Marine Corps. Um, I looked at that and I thought about it and I was kind of like ah, you know sounds fine and dandy and all but I kind of want to push myself a little bit further. Mm -hmm. um, then I went to the Navy recruiting office and, you know, they had a little TV on and they were playing some Swick video in there and I was like, oh, that looks pretty cool. <laughs> that recruiting video before, I mean, I think our, our generation, when we joined, around the time we joined, we all seen that Swick video and they're on this fast moving boats and, you know, they're stopping on their nose and they're lighting up the tree line and stuff like that. I was like, oh, that looks super cool. I'll, I'll do that. Um, talk to my recruiter. He's like, well, hey, you know, with your um, your physical attributes, you know, at the time I was I was sexy and slim at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, you uh, you ever tried to? He's like, have you um, what other recruiting places have you gone to? I told him the Marine Corps, and I kind of told him I was like, eh, it didn't really didn't really do it for me. And uh, he's like, well, you know, we have a we have a SEAL program here. I got all the info on it. Um, I went to the pool, did some training. Um, I actually passed that PFT. Um, I don't know if you want to reiterate what that is, but 
um, I actually passed that um, qual for just the physical portion of it. Um, <clears throat> then I was looking into it a little bit more and um, talked to my new my new wife at the time. Talked to her about it, and she's like, "Well, I don't think you should do that. It sounds like you know high probability of dying or whatever." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, well." You know, I'll, I'll look into something different, you know. Right. Um, Especially at the time so, frame because we the war was still pretty, pretty yeah, hot and heavy at yeah, that time. It was, yeah, it was pretty intense. And so um, so I looked into some more stuff, and I was like, hey, you know, my great-grandfather was a corpsman. You know, these guys are, you know, they're out there, and if you do go to – if you if I end up going to a, a unit that goes to overseas or whatever, I'm just pretty much patching guys up. You know, I didn't have – I didn't have the full skinny on like what the job entailed, right. you know, at the time. Right. I didn't know you, you'd actually be slinging lead downfield and you'd be in the thick of everything. You know, I didn't think of it that way. I just kind of thought of you just kind of patching people up. Right. Um, so she's like, yeah, why don't you do that? And that's what I went for. Did you have any, um, like interest in, in like medical field at all? You said that your mom like kind of <clears throat> ran doctor's offices or, or something like that. Did that have anything to do with it or? Yeah. No, not really. It it really didn't. Um, and at the time, at that at that stage of my life, I wasn't thinking like long long term or anything like that. I was just kind of more like, oh, this looks like it'll be pretty cool, so I'll I'll check it out and see what we'll see what happens. You know, and the, my recruiter, you know, the infamous my recruiter told me this, you right. know, and like told me you could do all these different things, and um, so I got into it, and then um, I went through boot camp in uh, December and got out of boot camp. Over in lovely Great Lakes. It's cold. Uh, yeah, I went there in January, and, uh, and I, I thought I knew. I thought I knew what cold yeah, December, was <laughs> until I went yeah, there. Yeah, December in, in Great Lakes is probably not the best. Uh, not the best. Uh, best time to go. I wish I would have done springtime, but yeah. Um, no, I went out there, and you know, I was like, "Oh, this is cool." You know, I'm a Vegas kid. Not a whole lot of snow in Vegas ever. So I got out there. I was like, "Oh, this this stuff is pretty cool. Like, this is so nice and cold up here." And I hated the heat, even though I grew up in Vegas. I always hated the heat. Got there, I was like, "Oh, this is awesome! It's nice and cold." And <laughs> yeah, until I did my first couple movements in the first couple marches in the snow, and everybody's slipping on their butt and getting jacked up pretty good. And I was like, "Damn, this shit sucks." <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I, you know, I went through the whole the whole boot camp deal. Boot camp was it was easy. I already I had already been away from my parents and was in a. I honestly think that rehab would make uh, boot camp kind of look like a joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, they were a lot. They were a lot more hardcore at that uh, rehab than the boot camp was. Um, but <clears throat> uh, going through boot camp was a great experience, and and I can see why the the recruiters and uh, or not the recruiters, but the RDCs um, they go through that fa- the phases of kind of breaking you down as a human being and building you back up as a as a as a unit of the military, I can mm-hmm. see why they break you down the way they break you down. It kind of teaches you a little bit of humility. Um, it kind of, it kind of simplifies things, honestly. Right. I mean, yep. it's you know, you're you got your five minute pump and dump in the morning with a shave, get lined up, go get chow, and get ready for the day. You know. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I can see why they do it the way they do it. You have people from different backgrounds. Um, different upraisings. Um, yeah, I've mentioned it a, a, a couple of times, you know, uh, like on different episodes of the podcast that um, my, my, my first guest actually on the podcast was my RDC. Um, it's someone I still, I, still, oh, wow. I still keep in contact with to this day. He's, he's like one of my, my best mentors. Um, 
but it's like like boot camp is one of like the biggest you know misconceptions that a lot of people have like uh everyone thinks like boot camp teaches you how to you know be a sailor or marine or or you know whatever boot camp you go to um but it, it really doesn't like you know that's what the a schools are for boot camp is just kind of there to just kind of change the type of person that you are you know and yeah so it's, it's basically i mean this is just my opinion it kind of just it brings it brings such a big variance of personalities and uprisings and you know there's a lot of people that went through a really hard time growing up right and there's people that were spoon-fed a lot of shit you got mm-hmm. crybaby sissies over here that you know if the, you don't have you know you know, uh, Charmin Ultra with fucking double ply. They're wiping <laughs> their ass with single ply, and it feels like cardboard. They're over there crying and bitching about that. And you got a kid, <laughs> you know, he's like, "God damn, I got hot water in the shower. I don't care if there's ten other guys in here. I'm getting right. a hot shower. This is nice." You know, yep. um, it brings everybody on the same level playing field. Like everybody's right. equal there. Um, but it kind of teaches you to kind of get the your immature viewpoints on how life really works or how the world really works honestly and it kind of teaches you to come together as a unit and you guys actually become really close when you go through boot camp yep 100 percent. yeah i still i still probably keep in contact with a good 30 to 40 percent of the people i went to boot camp with uh shit i don't have i don't have (laughs) contact like that with the guys i went through boot camp with i mean and i mean the only guy i went I mean, not like talking on the phone all the time, but you know, like through Facebook and stuff like that. Yeah, and I mean, social media has done a great job of being able to keep people connected and stuff in that way. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, any uh, it, um, was boot camp pretty uh, you know, um, uneventful for you? You know, no, no kind of trouble or anything like that. Just kind of laid low, did your two months, and yeah, I just yeah, I just I laid low, just whatever the RDC said, I did. Mm-hmm. Um. Did you have uh, had some good laughs here and there, and um, but other than that, I mean, it was just it was really just simple. I mean, it was just be where you're supposed to be, do what you're supposed to do, and learn what you got to learn. And that's I mean, that's pretty much all you got to do in boot camp. Right. And you got to learn to let go of mommy and daddy and your friends, which was easy for me at the time. Right. Um, did you yeah, have um? Man. Did you have utilities or or did was there NWs at this time? Oh no, I was in there when they had utilities. Utilities. I, yeah. Utilities, I had Johnny Cash's. Um, I think I was, I might have been like, I think I was maybe the last or second to last unit to, or division is what they call them in boot camp for mm-hmm. us. But you know, I might have been like one of the last units to get Johnny Cash's. I don't fit in them anymore. Because <laughs> yeah, 09 was when the, uh, the the blueberries came out, I think. Yeah. Yeah, cause my, my brother went yeah. through boot camp in 2007 and, and he had the, uh, the utilities and all that, so that's why I was kind of asking. Yeah, and, and we looked really dumb when we showed up to, um, what do they call that? Um, after boot camp, I went through A school, and then I got stuck on that lovely unit called Hold. <laughs> <laughs> I got stuck over there, didn't get a uniform allowance yet to get my fucking blueberries. Um, so I went over from Hold, and I went over to um, Second Tanks um, over in... Uh, uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. I went to Second Tanks, and um, I had another guy that came over there with me at the same time. He was in Blueberries, and I was in Dungarees, and I looked way out of fucking place. <laughs> you know, I looked, I was, I looked, I, I stuck out like a sore fucking thumb. I went to Chow Hall. I was the only guy in there. 
got the second Marine Division fucking chow hall and dungarees. Everybody else is wearing. I got little Smurf uh, camis on, and everybody <laughs> else is wearing. Uh, when I went over there, I think we were wearing uh, greens, not deserts. Yeah, we were wearing greens when I went over there. Um, so so that was you, a little awkward. So was core school. Core school is still in Great Lakes at this time, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah, because I, I went through. Uh, I went down there in Fort Sam Houston because I, <clears throat> I um I didn't join until I was twenty two. I joined a little late. Um, and then uh, if I'm, if you remember or not, I I did submarines for four years before I became a corpsman. So I didn't go to corpsman school till like the uh, January of fifteen, I believe. I went to corpsman school. January fifteen, yeah. So I was a little little after you, but how was um? Did you go through that self the self pace one? I was no when I when I went through um core school the the pilot program was the uh, self self taught shit that didn't happen until I was about three quarters or three quarters or a little bit more through I think I was on like test eleven or something like that um when I went through um when I went through it was. You know, some weeks you'd have two tests in a week, or you'd have one test a week. Um, when I went through, I was like towards the tail end when um, they started doing that self-taught, um, self-paced program. So they they catch you guys on the old curriculum. They like didn't switch you yeah. halfway through. Okay, got you. Nope. Nope. All right. So after um, now when you're going through core school at this point, I'm sure some of the instructors, you know, probably just came off uh, CUD, I'm assuming, right? Some guys yeah, were in, had, in the um, war. Was that kind of like your yeah, first, had, your um, first taste of, um, you know, what you, you kind of got your, not to say got yourself into, but um, where you learned more than kind of what you knew when you enlisted about being a corpsman? Yeah, I would say um, core school was the first place I got my first taste of um, the true definition of PTSD. <laughs> um, I had a, um, I had a first class one chief and a second class. Um, my first class petty officer, he, he had seen a lot of things. He was in um, Fallujah. So he had went through a lot of stuff and he had a couple of rules when you came into class. They were a lot different. Um, he didn't really care if we like ate or drank in our class and stuff like that. Um, but he had a huge rule on, um, you know, no loud noises. Right. And, um, and we've had a couple kids that, you know, they fall asleep, and you know the military's way of waking somebody up is you do something loud or you spook them. Um, but he wouldn't do stuff like that. He would just rally everybody up, and we'd go down to the PT field down there, or the soft or the baseball fields, and we'd go PT until that student would wake up from his nap. <laughs> Jesus. He would he would just tell everybody to be quiet and don't make any noises, don't slide your chairs back or anything like that. Just stand up walk out and then he'd have one of his buddies up there sit in the room until he woke up <laughs> and we'd go PT until he was done sleeping. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so how long was really core school at, uh, up there? Um, honestly, man, I, that part's still kind of a, that part's kind of a blur to me now. Um, <laughs> it was, it was a good little bit. I mean, it was, I think it was probably the better part of like three months or a little bit more than three. Uh, I think it was about four months, four and a half months. Okay. Once you got done with clinicals and everything else, and then you had final test and everything else. Right. But we actually got to you know, our clinicals. We got to work in the psych wards. We got to you know work in the X-ray places, surgery. Um, 
they had a pretty big hospital up there at Great Lakes, and it was all veterans. And you'd be able to, you know, I got I got the lucky duty of working the psych ward. I've had I've had fecal matter thrown at me quite a few times. Oh my um, god! <laughs> I've had I've had uh, bedpans thrown at me a couple times with you know both number one and number two in it. How long were clinicals still... for you guys? <clears throat> uh, they were two weeks long. Okay, yeah, we only did a week down in uh, Fort Sam Houston. So, uh, so going through core school, kind of being exposed to you know some of your instructors, um, you know that just just kind of came back from war. Did that kind of uh, um, motivate you to to go FMF, or did you at this time was it you know if you're a male you're going FMF you don't have a choice, um, kind of like. Um, it was kind of it was somewhat electoral unless you had good grades going through it. I had good grades going through core school. Um, I think I didn't fail any tests. My I think my lowest I, I I did have to get pushed back into a second class because um, while I was in core school, my first son was born, and um, I did get I was allowed to go home for a week. But they said if you go home for a week, you'll be three you'll be two weeks behind, and you'll have to go into another class. Which I was totally fine with at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so I came back, um, and it was pretty much like whoever had out of the males, it was who had higher GPAs. You were going to FMTB. Uh, anybody that had test failures, um, you're going to pretty much be quad zero, and then you could pick a, a certain designator after that, like as far as or whatever discipline you felt like you wanted to go to, like X ray or lab tech or whatever. Um, but if you had a high GPA at the time, they were looking for guys to go to FMTB, and I didn't have a problem with that. Um, I was young and ambitious, so I thought it was cool that I might be going to a wartime unit. So did you go to, um, was it called FMTB at this time, or, or was it? Yeah, it was called okay. Field Medical Training Battalion, yeah. Okay, because I remember when I was, uh, when I had um, H, uh, H1 O'Hare on here, he, they called it something different back back when he went through. Yeah, he's got a couple more years on me. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, were you east or west? Uh, I was east. East, okay. So, um, did you kind of roll right into that after you graduated? Um, um, yeah, I, I rolled right into it. Um, I actually got put on hold there for like two weeks until they could have enough guys to class up for a new FMTB class. And how was uh, how was going through FMTB for you? How was that experience? Oh, it was a breeze. It was it was easy. It was a lot of fun, actually. Um, obviously, when you go to FMTB, all your instructors have some sort of wartime experience. Um, I had some really good instructors. Um, I don't remember all of them. Um, one that stands out to me the most would probably be H1 Acosta. Um, really cool guy. I think he was from the Dominican Republic. Um, his favorite saying was because he was a he wasn't fat, but he was a he was a heavy dude. He was just big and jacked, but his thing was uh, slow and sexy. Every <laughs> every time he ran somewhere, it was slow and sexy. Um, <laughs> so I mean, I, I had a good time at FMTB. Honestly, I had a really good time. I had actually a lot of my buddies um, that I went to boot camp with were went to um, they went to uh, pre buds up there in uh, Great Lakes. Uh, a couple of those guys had some broken bones and they got put on hold and. They got sent to FMTB, so I actually knew. I knew about 15 guys that were trying out for special forces. Um, they ended up, We all ended up classing up together at FMTB, so FMTB was actually a pretty dang fun time for me. Hmm. Um, 
so did you uh did you at this point did your family come join you or, or are you still by yourself family has uh, your wife and kids obviously um no my wife was still living in las vegas um we weren't going to move her out until i actually got a permanent duty station um so after fmtb i was actually at fmtb and um graduated and as i graduated um it's actually hm1 acosta comes up to me he's like hey um, I want you to meet Chief Lewis and HM1 Motley. They're from uh, 2nd Battalion, 9th Marines. Um, they specifically wanted you to come to their unit. I was like, cool. <laughs> oh, wow. And met up with them, and um, met up with them, and it was 2 9 all the way after that, man. Did, did you ever find out like how they found out about you? <laughs> um, no, I, I really good. I, I, mean, I've, I mean, I grew up shooting all the time. I really high I, I think I actually had the highest um, um, rifle qual in FMTB when I was there and um, their corpsman that was going to be going on this uh, deployment he just came back they they went to Cuba and did like a I don't know if it's like a UDP over there or whatever they did some kind of training exercise out in Cuba um, <clears throat> or it wasn't one of their corpsmen out there um, found out they were going to go to Marja, Afghanistan and I don't know if it was intentional or not, but he shot himself in the foot. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> didn't want to go. Um, I don't know if it was an accident or if it was intentional, but he didn't want to go. His name was like BNMA, Doc BNMA or some shit. Um, but yeah, they, they were like, hey, you know, like we got a, we got a really good uh, unit of Marines here. A lot of these guys, like I, when I came to my unit, um, most of those guys had been through um, – uh, most of my unit came from Fallujah. Um, they were all together through Fallujah and a whole bunch of other um, deployments. Uh, I think I think the average deployment for my unit and most of the most of our senior guys had no less than at least three combat tours under their belt um, at this point. Wow. And we had a lot of salty Marines that were out there. Really good Marines. Really sound. Um, just really good guys. So the, the op tempo was still pretty uh pretty fast right you guys, oh, yeah 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 and like i i wasn't even joining when you know i got to 29 and they had already done a lot of their workup for deployment um i got there and a lot of guys kind of kind of looked at me funny because i hadn't been with them i hadn't been with most of their workup they're kind of trying to size me up as far as what my knowledge was and if they could trust my judgment or my skill level honestly and, and rightfully so I mean they're gonna be deploying to a pretty kinetic area right um, so was it was it the Marines that were doing this too or the like the other corner that or that were already there it was both a little both? bit of a mixture of both okay yeah um, I had a really good group of corpsmen that I worked with um, at the BAS a lot of those guys were really helpful um, really great guys I worked with over there. So, so were you with, uh, and I'm ashamed to say, but like, I still don't understand like the, the two nine one six, like I, I still understand like how that structure is. So was that uh -huh. a, um, like a ground unit that you're with or were you with like yeah, we weapons yep, yep. or, okay. No, no. Um, well, two nines has a weapons company or weapons platoon in it. Okay. But we're strictly a ground unit. Okay. Gotcha. Cause I know there's like ground MLG and like and wing right that's like the, th yeah. three, the three yep. big ones okay yeah <clears throat> so how um we're what when you're getting your pin we're a gze a ground combat element 
Okay. That's right, because there's, there's like three different pins, right? You, for... Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Um, so how long after um, you graduated, you know, were you uh, packing up and shipping out on that deployment? Was it a pretty fast turnaround or? Oh, yeah, it was quick. Um, I don't remember the month I got there. Um, I wasn't with 2-9 more than I – was, I was with 2-9 for less than a year before we deployed. Um, I went to uh, – they just came back from AP Hill. Um, I got there, and they're like, okay, you need to go down and get your SIF unit or your SIF gear issue. I got my SIF gear issue and hung out for about maybe a month and a half, two months. Was that where and you we just get, there. like, your, your flak and, and, like, your med yep. bag, all that stuff? Okay. Yep. So I went there, got all that stuff, and then um, went to 29 Palms in California. Um, went out there. They got to see a little bit of my skills out there. They were pretty impressed. They liked it. They liked what they were seeing. Um, <clears throat> yeah, dude, and then pretty much went on, uh, came back. We did a couple more training evolutions there in Camp Lejeune. Um, just like a couple, like, you know, two weeks here, two weeks there, um, kind of some other stuff. And then um, <clears throat> they went ahead and said, hey, boys, you know, here it is. Like, invite your families. We're going to have a battalion-wide, you know, briefing, and we're going to let everybody know where we're going. And went out to uh, went out to good old Marja, Afghanistan. So And they – yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. So I'm just kind of curious because you're like the third person I, I've talked to. Why that that has deployed out of Lejeune? Why do they send you guys before you deploy all the way to California just to come back here to go on deployment? <laughs> um, so they send us out to, I mean, they they only send us out to California really for um, twenty nine Palms. I mean, that's you know desert warfare training program that they have out there. Okay. Great facility. Um, you get to run a lot of big ranges, live fire. Um, you get, you know, mod deuces, uh, so your 50 cals are shooting overhead, they got Mark 19s, and you're doing platoon and squad rushes up ranges, knocking out targets with live ammunition flying over your head, and basically trying to Simulate scare over there. you. Yeah, okay. basically trying to scare-proof you from, you know, turning back and turning tail because you're scared of what's going on or whatever. Um, and then it, they also do, like, assessments, too, while you're over there. Um you know, they um, <clears throat> they kind of assess each unit that goes through, and I don't know I don't know the whole breakdown because I wasn't privy to how they break everything down. Um, all I know is um, they ended up making um, Fox Company like our main effort for our battalion. So would they put us in the the thickest of the shit that they could put us in? So um, so what's going? We did so well out there. What's going through your mind right now? You know, you're you're kind of freshly out of school. Um, you're you're pretty much getting ready to deploy um you know at, at this point you have a newborn that i'm assuming you really haven't seen that much since they're still out in las vegas um yep. so kind of like what what kind of like mindset are you in i mean i can only imagine um it started getting real to me towards the very tail end of cax um i had a really good squad leader his name is uh garrett sergeant or sergeant garrett meisner um unfortunately he's not with us today he passed on that first deployment um, this, I believe, was his fifth um, combat tour that he had been on. Jesus. Um, <clears throat> very salty, very knowledgeable, extremely knowledgeable. Um, very, very smart young man. He's a tactician. Um, just a great all-around Marine. Just You couldn't really ask for a better package in a Marine. Um, 
hearing some of his stuff that he went through on prior deployments, I mean, he's been to Africa, he's been to Iraq, he's been, I mean, he's been all over the place. Um, and when he started talking about, like, what we might encounter over there, it kind of started to sink in a little bit, and I was like, holy crap, this is, this is like, this is the real shit, this is real war. Right. Like, people are, I'm looking around like, man, these, a lot of these guys might die over here. Um, unfortunately, we did lose a lot of people um, on my first deployment. Um, but yeah, it started to really sink in then. It was kind of like, holy crap, this is this is something that's pretty real. Like, it's not to be taken lightly or, you know, you, everything that they tell you, you get to take out the grain of salt and try and absorb all that information that they give you so that way you can perform at your best, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, did your fam- were your, was your family out there with you now since you were... Um, I had gotten out there to Lejeune. Um, we put in our housing request over there. They're pretty full at Lejeune. Um, and actually around, around that time, <laughs> my wife had actually found out that she was pregnant with my second child. Oh my God. <laughs> so I was actually, she was actually a, a mama that was carrying. So she was, she was ready to have another baby and he was going to be due while I was deployed. Um, so it, it started really to kind of hit home. I was like, man, you really got to stay on your toes out here. Like you, you want to come home and see your second kid, you right. know? Um, and you still got to come home to see your wife and your other kid, but you don't want to not be there for your, your second born, you know? Right. Yep. So when did you, when, uh, when did you officially deploy? Are are we in like 2009? Uh, we're now we're in, um, we're in, uh, 2010 now. We're about, um, deployed out to Afghanistan, I think around August. I think it was, yeah, it was just before my wife's birthday, actually, I think. We deployed in the first or second week of August. Okay, and what um, um so what part of Afghanistan is this? Uh, this is the lovely Marja, Afghanistan. So the is like the Helmand province. Okay, all right, gotcha. All right, so what was this? I where mean... stronghold, basically, Taliban stronghold of Afghanistan is Marja and Helmand province. So what what were you um like kind of expecting when you know when you guys were flying over there, um. Did you fly into uh, like what what base or uh, FOB? I guess is the correct term. Did you did you like? Uh... All right, so um, <clears throat> we trucked out of um, Camp Lejeune. We went up to uh, Maine. We flew out of Maine. We flew into Germany. Um, went from Germany. Um, flew into Germany, and then. I can't remember if it was the first or second deployment on this one, but I think it was the first deployment. We flew into we flew into Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, I think we flew straight into Kyrgyzstan and we went to Minsk. I think that's a Air Force base, or I think it's predominantly Air Force. Um, that's in Afghanistan. No, that's oh. in uh, uh, Minsk. Is in um, uh, Kazakhstan. Okay. So we flew in there. Um, flew in there. We, I guess we had like um, we had like a week or so. We stayed there. It was kind of getting acclimated to the altitude and stuff because it's a lot higher than. I mean, we're all swamp rats, so I mean, we're used to living at like sea level. Um, so we're getting used to, a little bit, a little bit more used and and um, a little bit more acclimated to the higher elevation there. Um, flew in there, and we. Uh, then we flew out to, hmm, I'm trying to think. 
where we flew to after that. We flew to a huge, a huge base after that. Um, all military, no, no civilians, nothing. I want to say that was. Um, it was like leather. Wasn't Leatherneck the big one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leatherneck. That's okay. the one. Yep. yep. All right. Flew into Camp Leatherneck, and then um, from there they flew us to uh, Cop Kotu, which is our furthest northing um, base that we had in our um, AO. Um, we flew in. We flew into there. We landed on uh, 53. We took 53s into that, and they did their whole combat maneuver into that. I thought that was badass. But no, we never took any contact the whole time coming into Cop Kotu. Um, you know, it was kind of kind of strange. I was like, oh, you know, maybe this isn't going to be that bad. Um, we we're there for I think a couple days, and, and then they started to brief us, and then our higher ups came and briefed <clears throat> briefed all the rest of the platoons. And they started going over all the all the stats that were happening before we got there. And these guys hadn't even been there for a full seven months. They were only there for a couple months before we got there. And that was basically just to establish PBs and get a feel for the area. And the amount of casualties they took was crazy. I was like, holy shit, this is bad. <laughs> Because there's yeah. like a there's a turnaround period, right? Like when when you guys show up, and the people that yeah. you, that you're relieving, like you guys are there together for like a couple weeks, right? As, as they turn over intelligence and stuff like that. So yeah, we were there for I think uh, the unit that we replaced was uh, three six. Um, they were there for was either three six or three eight. I can't remember. Um, they were there for probably two and a half three weeks, and then they took off. And then we were left to our own devices at that point. Um, so was, it, I was, was it just you ahead. guys there? Like, was it a, like a really small, like little outpost? Yeah, it was or? Just, just our battalion. Um, just our battalion, and we maintained, or we manned um, a couple patrol bases. And patrol bases were just um, platoons. So it was just platoon size um, patrol bases. So you get your platoon with you know three squads in each one, and they broke us down. Weapons had a certain area, and they they were mostly in like the Bari, and they kind of those are the only areas we could run trucks. Um, my patrol base and patrol base Beatley, they were extremely isolated. You couldn't get it. There was no MSRs. You couldn't drive a single American vehicle down any of the roads to get to us. Um, so none of our resupplies came by vehicle. They were all HST dropped and more than half of those they didn't even get those things close to the ground before they dropped them so a lot of our supplies got scattered all over the field where they dropped them at oh wow so they're just yeah. all just helicoptering them in was the only way to get you guys stuff yeah that was the only way to get us stuff any ammo food water they had to fly it in by bird and drop it wow so um uh so on that helicopter ride in, um, is it like sinking in more, or are you pretty much already in the mindset that you know, like, hey, I'm here? I don't know. It's kind of kind of a weird feeling. It was more of like a kind of know how to explain it. It's kind of like a it's almost like you're subdued or like kind of <clears throat> almost like a trance. Kind of like you don't know what to expect. You had kind of like that kind of weird feeling like it might not have been a good thing. 
I don't know. It was weird. It was like you had some kind of intuition that you were going into something bad. Right. But you didn't want to be overly concerned about it and weird yourself out. It's kind of one of those feelings. And you said, you know, the group of guys that you're with were all already pretty combat hardened. So. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> did you kind of have like a sense of like security because of that? I mean, I guess, yeah. I guess, I guess as much yeah. as you possibly can feel secure over there. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely. I think the uh, the caliber of Marines that we had, I think that definitely established some kind of, I would say maybe like a, almost like a, a comfort that you had somebody with that much knowledge that's going to be out there with you every single time you go out. So how long after? Um, or actually, let me ask this instead. So what what was like your your day to day there? Were you guys just doing like patrols? Um, yeah, it was just, um, we did patrol, we did, um, we actually conducted different types of patrols. So we did, um, morning time, first patrol you would do in the day would be usually an established like contact patrol. So you were actually typically in the morning, we were actually going out looking for a contact. Um, then we do like a mid morning patrol, which would be like our census patrol. We would go around to different, um, different mud huts, go around to different farmers, ask questions, you know, try and see how many kids they had, how old they were, um, things of that nature. Like, you know, how, how you know, what, what's your basic income? What's your basic source of income? That kind of stuff. Um, what are your relations with, you know, certain groups out here? Cause we had, we dealt with guys that were Pashtun, Dari, um, Farsi, um, different, we had different like kind of clans that lived out there basically. Um, we'd go out and kind of get a feel for which areas were more densely populated with certain type of clans. Um, and we would associate those with the types of contact we would take in those certain areas of our AO, whether they were higher with, um, you know, if they were more small arms fire or if they were more of IED, um, emplacement type people, um, or, and then sometimes we would run into old Mujahideen, fought the Russians. You know, we, and those guys were the ones we didn't like fighting with because they didn't quit. <laughs> um, you know, and then are after they, the... Are they different than, like, the Taliban and all them? The Mujahideen? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there was... Um, they had more effective fire um, when you got into a gunfight with them. Um, their rounds would be a lot closer to our personnel, and they didn't really turn and cower. I mean... Taliban didn't really turn and cower too often, um, but if you messed up enough of them, they would they would hightail it out of there. The Mujahideen would pretty much stick it out until you killed them all. Now, were they also fighting the Tal Taliban, or were they working together? Because I know I know it kind of gets um, like, weird over there with that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of hard to say. Um, I know that neither one of the groups liked us there at all. Right. Um, I mean, we'd go the morning contact patrol, then we'd have our census patrol, then we'd do an afternoon patrol. And that would be a contact patrol, and then we'd do a nighttime patrol, and that was trying to catch IED emplacers or people setting up um, machine gun bunkers or whatever mischief they get into at nighttime, sneaking weapons over the little um, canals to resupply their guys. Um, but we typically we did about four patrols a day. Um, each one squad would be on patrol, one squad would be on post, and then the other squad would be on like a a different um, patrol base, and that would be kind of like your R&R, &R, and you're just out there as kind of like an overwatch position. 
or a quick QR, like a like a hasty QRF. Okay. So it wasn't the same, like the same group of guys doing the patrol every time. You guys would kind of rotate. No, we okay. rotated every day. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, I, I know that I... kind of changed later on in the deployment for me. So, I... I mean, we have you know three squads, three corpsmen. We had one corpsman permanently removed from the um, unit due to an injury, and then we had another guy who got a really gnarly infection, and I was stuck with the platoon doing all the patrols every day for almost 70 days. So what was your, um, you know, your very first patrol like? You know, you're, you're walking outside the gates. Um, is there, like, a sense of, like, feeling, like, vulnerable, or were you kind of, like, gung-ho, like, all right, let's go do some shit? What, what was, like, your, your very first patrol like? Is, is that something that well, kind of... Is that something that like you remember the only, pretty vividly? The only the, my very first patrol was actually our patrol getting to um, my patrol base, and that was the only day in the entire deployment that we did not receive contact. Um, we walked out there. Um, actually, we got trucked across the Bari um, Bari Desert and had what they called the legacy IEDs or um, legacy bombs, and those were meant those were in place by like the old Mujahideen and. Um, some of them were recent emplacements by Taliban, and those were meant to take out tanks and up-armored vehicles and stuff. And um, They couldn't get their vehicles very close to our PB. I think we were probably a good, like, three-and-a-half-hour walk away from our PB, where they dropped us off at. We actually had to walk through part of that desert. That was my first butthole factor, <laughs> or butthole, um, <laughs> butthole clinch <laughs> experience, because I was scared to step on one of those bombs. Um, none of us, none of us, um, we took no casualties. We had some heat casualties. That was about the extent of it. Um, too many guys drinking too many monsters before we went out there. A little dehydrated. Um, <clears throat> it was a long, crappy movement. Um, got out there first night. We all ate chow and everything else. Everything was good. Um, but my first patrol out of that PB was actually, we actually got the lucky deal, and we got sent to Blue School, which was like our... <clears throat> which was like that overwatch position that I was telling you about. Uh, we got out there, <clears throat> and uh, I linked up with uh, the corpsman I was going to be relieving for the other unit, and he was kind of giving me the skinny and the rundown on the type of casualties he's been seeing and like how to pack, pack my med bag accordingly just off of the casualties that he typically sees. So I was taking everything he was telling me with, a, you know, I was taking it like to heart. So mm -hmm. I, I, re, I readjusted my med bag completely. Like he's like, get rid of this. It's garbage. You don't need it. It's extra weight. You know, pack more of these. You're gonna need them. Um, like more tourniquets. Uh, uh, not so many of the lactated ringers, but more of the blood exp um, uh, blood volumizers like Hexton and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, just because he's seen, uh, he said you're gonna see about half and half. You're gonna see half IED um, casualties, and the other half are gonna be GSWs, and you're gonna be seeing a lot of them. Um, I was like, okay. That's so gunshot wounds, right? I'm assuming. Yeah. GS okay. Yeah. Okay. GSWs. Um, so, you know, we, me and him ate chow together that morning. It was about, probably about five o'clock in the morning, got up, we are eating chow. He's like, hey, it's about that time, guys. And all of his guys and, um, all the guys in his unit, they all started flacking up and we're like, okay, well, I mean, nothing's happening. You know, he's like, hey, you guys should probably flack up here in a minute. And we're like, what's up? And he's like, oh, every day in the morning, right around six o'clock, we take gunfire every day. Oh, wow. I was like, Really? And he's like, yeah, it's like clockwork. He's like, if you don't wake up to eat breakfast early, he's like, you're going to get into a tick before you can eat breakfast. 
<laughs> he's like, so always wake up early here. I was like, all right. Uh, you know, <laughs> sure as shit. Right around 6 o'clock, we had a good hour and a half, two-hour gunfight that we got into. Um, most of it was it was more of um, ineffective fires. It was like more of like harassing. But I don't know if they were trying to draw out. He did say that they had a lot of snipers out there. Um, um, they were trying to. I think they were trying to draw us more out of our PB to get outside of some of our our uh, safeguards that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't take any casualties. A lot of ricochets in that building. It was pretty cr- pretty crazy. Um, that's when I got to pop my cherry in combat. It was the first rounds I fired was my second day at my PB. So, or technically my first 24 hours, I, I fired my round or fired my first rounds. Was that your first um, time, um, you know, encountering fire also? Yeah. <clears throat> so what was that like? Like afterwards, were you, like, did it? Um... I, would, I don't know. It was like, it was a rush, dude. Honestly, it was kind of like, wow, that was, that was freaking crazy. Like that was insane. <laughs> you know, you're getting shot at and you're returning to fire. Um, and you could see him out in the distance. You could see him running around trying to get better angles of fire on you, and you're just trying to do your best to drop them. Um, but you're also, I mean, they had machine guns, like RPKs was like old uh, Russian belt-fed machine gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're taking high amounts of fire from those while they're moving around. It was, it was, I mean, it was it was intense. It was pretty crazy. So they're just kind of shooting into, the into like, your guys' little base? just. Yeah, okay. yep. <clears throat> Any kind of like mortar fire or anything like that, or was it just all like small arms? Um, on that one, I think we took a couple rocket shots, RPG shots. Um, they didn't drop any, uh, they didn't drop any artillery or uh, any uh, mortars on us on that one. That came like two days later when we started getting our first mortar fires. I think they were kind of testing us to see how we did or see what we were about. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I'm sure you know we could kind of talk about your pretty much every day of your deployment. But what were some like big um uh like big moments from that first deployment? I mean, like, you know, what was your first casualty like? What's what's kind of go with that? Like what was what was that? Um my first casualty my first casualty that I took um out there was actually a double cas. Um <clears throat> we were walking out west and they called west the wild west. Um if you walked out towards uh, I think that was route animal um, everything out there is like little bongo truck and like um, motorcycle trails pretty much um, but we were walking as far west as we could go in our AO before you hit the Elizabeth Canal and they um, the guys that were there before us they said if you walk out that way expect to take a casualty you know um, wow. we went out there and sure enough as soon as we get out to our furthest um, western northern or western point we're going to start to RTB um as soon as we got our squad started making our loop back, um, our point man and our second man um, initiated a, uh, a victim-initiated pressure switch. Uh, uh, it, was a, it was an IED that was on the ground. It went off. Um, none of the – both the Marines, they, they sustained very minimal um, injuries. I mean, most of it was all shrapnel. Um, a good friend of mine, Delcor, and then uh, Guerrero. Um <clears throat> you know, they, they took they took their wounds. Um, they got patched up. It, for me, it was relatively easy. It wasn't nothing extensive or nothing crazy. Um, I wish the rest of my casualties were that way, but these ones were really easy to treat. Um, they went and got casvacked, and they were out of there. And they came. They actually both of them returned back to us um, a couple weeks later. Um, yeah, 
I mean, the first the first casualty case I took were fairly easy ones to deal with. Um, <clears throat> nothing nothing too crazy. So was the IED just like like not a big one? Because I mean, when I'm thinking when I think IED, I'm thinking something that's like flipping a Humvee. So for them no, to, to step um, on it and and not. I don't know. know if the I don't know if the IED emplacers. It, it depends on where the where the initial charge is placed at and the proximity to the uh, the the casualty is to that that um, IED. Um, it one marine sustained injuries to the front of his body, the other one to his back. So they were in between the IED when it went off. Okay. I don't know if the first one hit it and then it just the the main the main charge just took too long to detonate. Um, but it wasn't a small one. I mean, almost all the ones that we encountered out there were 20-pounders or 40-pounders. So a 20-pounder will disable a Humvee. Um, we've were had quite a few 40-pounders that they did some pretty serious damage to some people. Were you close by when, when that thing went off? Um, I was a couple hundred yards away when that one went off. Um, our our platoon was extremely cautious about this, um about our, our lengths between each individual. So our dispersion was pretty pretty great. Uh, we usually kept about 50 yards between each Marine. Okay. And that was to kind of prevent, you know... A, a Multiple lot, casualties. Right. You know, we'd rather lose one Marine, not two. Right. Um, so how long was that into that into that deployment? Was that like week one, or was it a little bit more? Oh, it was our first, that was our first month. Okay. Um, I think that was... It might have been our third week. I don't know. Um, I don't remember that... I don't remember how early it was. I remember it was still summer. It was still hot, um, and they got messed up. Uh, I think overall, in, in just in my platoon, I think I, I I wrote down. I know how many casualties I treated in like the whole deployment, but some of those were some of those were local national or Afghan um, national army, and then Marines. I had I had about almost thirty almost thirty casualties I treated on my first deployment. Um, that were in, you know, engaged in a firefight. Um, um, I don't know how many, how many local nationals I treated. I treated a lot. I mean, we'd go into pe- we'd go into people's houses and then, you know, ask for a doctor and squad leader to point me out and or have me come take a look at it, and I would do what I could for him. But I mainly try to keep my supplies available for my Marines. Right. Um, I did what I could for people. That's what we're supposed to do. Um, if I could treat him, I'd treat him. Sometimes I had, and I had regulars too that would come up to the PB and like, hey, you know, like I'm here to see blah, blah, blah. And I'd come out and I'd have like one Marine escort with me or two two Marine escorts with me. And I would treat, you know, local nationals. You know, we try to do our part to make the community feel like we weren't there to, you know, honestly, we weren't there to hurt the, the general populace. We were just trying to get rid of the bad guys. Um, but, you know, I treat little kids a lot, um, adults, elderly. Um, <clears throat> That kind of stuff. So, did you ever uh, have a casualty that you know you, you couldn't save? Um, yeah, I had two just in my squad. Um, like I said, we lost um, Sarah Meisner. Um, he actually died on my birthday. We we're actually walking up to Cop Co Two for R and R, where they're going to give us two days of just rest um, at their at their cop. <clears throat> So we didn't have to do any contact patrols or anything like that. We're actually going up there to kind of celebrate Christmas and not be into the, the thick of things for two days to kind of give us some time to rest and regroup before we came back. And um, unfortunately, he was taken from us. Um, there was nothing really that 
medically there was nothing that we could do for him. Um, and then lost one of my, I lost pretty much like my best friend over there, um, Michael E. Geary, um, on patrol. That was, that was a really rough day. That was a, that day was a shit show. Um, we were walking by alone, a known, um, Taliban supporters house going through a, I don't know if like if you've ever been through it, but I know, um, out there they, they like to flood irrigate everything. So when they irrigate the fields, it's really hard to traverse it on foot. Um, it's like slippery pudding, basically. That's like the best way I can explain it. And it like suction cups itself to your boots, and you're like walking up to step, you know, pretty exaggerated to get anywhere. And you, there's no running across it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he was running point. Um, he was he was either 19 or 19 or just turned 20. And um, we had a, we were walking in an area that we knew that there was a sniper in that area. Um, we were actually looking for him, and uh, he got the drop on Michael. Um, he was done before he hit the ground. He caught one to the tee box. Um, that was pretty rough. And it was about probably about five or 600 yards to where we could get to a place where we could actually call in a bird for an evac to get him out of there. Um, that was pretty rough. That was that was one of the rougher things I've had to go through, especially like being one of his best friends over there. I mean, me and me and his other friend Ernest. Ernest knew him longer than I did, um, but we were all really really close. Um, but he, yeah, I mean, that was a that was a shitty day. I don't think um, we actually went a little bit crazy when when uh, we lost Michael. I think. Every, we had to. We actually had to have QRF come out to bring us more rounds, because um, we started kind of blowing our. Every one of us were just going crazy ape shit with our guns, trying to fuck that guy up. <clears throat> so did they? Did any? Did either of those casualties um, kind of start a like a, a gunfight, or did they just kind of hit hit and run kind of thing? Um, Meisner's was at nighttime. Um, he stepped on an IED. Um, basically took him in half. Um, and then Michael's was mid-morning, a mid-morning patrol. And um, the sniper rang out one shot, and then that was covered by machine gun fire. That's typically what they would do, so we wouldn't pinpoint where the sniper out, where we, we wouldn't really, we'd have a hard time getting a, a good um, location on the, the origin of the round. Right. Um, they would take a pop they would take a sniper shot and then cover it immediately as soon as he shot you would hear a belt fed machine gun go off so it would kind of mask the uh our orientation on that the initial round um <clears throat> yeah but uh michael's was a huge firefight um gary's was more of trying to find him after it happened um we for garrett i think we spent almost six hours looking for him and he was finally recovered by some P- pjs um, his upper half of his body was found way further down the canal, a couple clicks away from us. Wow. So how how deep was that into the deployment? Um, Michael, uh, Michael's, um, Michael's was uh, he was in December, um, December eighth, and then. Um, we lost Michael December 8th, and then we lost um, Garrett. Um, we lost Sergeant Meisner um, on the 
26th of December. Wow. So they're pretty close together. So what did um what did that kind of do to you? I mean, because you're still you know you're still young at this point, right? You're nineteen, twenty. Yeah, I was twenty when this. Twenty. Uh, I was I was turn I turned twenty on um. I, I think I turned twenty or twenty one on uh, Garrett's uh, when he passed that day. Um, I don't know. It it was. It, I mean, honestly, like the best way I can sum it up, it just, it honestly just took a lot out of you. Right. And to lose two guys that close together, it was, it was pretty rough. It, it devastated our, um, my squad a lot. We had a, a good Marine, actually came from 3-6. His um, name's Andrew Curtin. It's funniest, it's funniest thing. He was a PFC, the lowest ranking guy in our, um, in our squad. He got into some trouble or whatever in his other unit. Um, but, Besides getting in trouble, I mean, he was he was a tactician too. I mean, he was super smart, um, quick to think on his toes. Um, he basically took over, and he was in charge of some corporals and myself. And uh, it's pretty crazy that the kid kept. He didn't, we didn't lose any more people once we had him in there. Um, his main objective, I think, was to he didn't want to lose any more people that he was close to. Honestly, I think that's what it kind of kind of held us together a little bit. He stepped up to the plate big time. That's good. That's a that's a good objective to have. <laughs> um. So, uh, were those the two uh, your two only um deaths that that you encountered on on that deployment? Um. No, I encountered. Well, I mean, other than the Marine, the, those were the only two uh, Marine deaths that I encountered on the deployment. Um. Obviously, our unit had a lot more than just those two. Right. Um, and I, I, hate, I, I, hate, even, I hate to use the word like the only two deaths, like it, you know, not to kind yeah, of play it off, but no, I, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Um, no, I mean, we lost a lot of we lost a lot of young men out there on that deployment. Um, I mean, it was an extremely kinetic AO. Um, <clears throat> but um, just in our platoon, those are those are the two deaths that we had in our platoon. We had a ton of casualties, a lot of guys with Purple Hearts, some of them with multiple Purple Hearts just from that one one deployment. As I mentioned, that Delcor and Guerrero. <laughs> Delcor and Guerrero, you know, they got blown up together, and then Delcor got shot a couple times, not just once, a couple times. And then Guerrero got blown up for a second time, and then they didn't let him come back to us because they were like, nah, these guys have seen enough. Like, Jesus. <laughs> let's just get them out of here. <laughs> we'll put them somewhere <laughs> where they're not going to get blown up or shot anymore. Um, wow. Um you know, you had uh, that same kid I was telling you about that stepped up to the plate and took over as our squad leader. Um, he got blown up along with uh, Corporal Kramer. All right, we took quite a few people. A lot of people just in just in first squad um, got really jacked up, and then second, third squad got jacked up. And um, all around the battalion, we had people getting hurt. Did you have any, um, you know, kind of uh, like any mishaps, like any close calls? You personally, anything like doing yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, I've had. I, I mean, nothing like some of the other guys actually got there. I, I always call the the purple of heart uh, or purple heart. I always call that the enemy enemy marksmanship ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I never received one. I never got shot. Never got blown up. Um, um, I have had. I had a, one time. I had a cigarette shot out of my hand um, as I was taking a drag. 
Wow. That was about the closest one I've had. Um, I've had one hit my uh, camel pack. I mean, that's as close as I've ever been shot, being shot, and not a big deal. What does that, you know, what does that sound like? Cause, I mean, everyone kind of describes like the, you know, the snaps and cracks, like when it when it's that. Close. It sounds like somebody slapped the shit out of a wall behind me. I, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't like heroic or anything. I fucking popped up and ran behind some cover, and then I <laughs> got my gun, and they're like, "You good, doc?" I was like, checking myself. I was like, "Yeah, I'm not hit. I'm good." <laughs> <laughs> they're like, "Holy shit, that was close, man!" I was like, "Yep." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so talk about it. <laughs> wow, that's that's nuts. Um, I, I would say I, I did get hurt one time. I did roll myself off of a roof once. That fucked my shoulder and my neck up pretty bad, and I still got problems with that now. But um, now I'd say um, probably one of my most technical casualties I ever had um, was a young man by the name of uh, Dustin Strobel, who's a sergeant. Um, really good friends with Sergeant Meisner, actually. They went through a lot of stuff together, and they both really experienced Marines. Um, he took... I don't remember the exact round count, so I might be a little bit off, but I do remember he got um, he got shot through um, the front of his face um, in his chin, and the round traveled through his jawbone. Um, I think in the neck once, across the top of his hand, I think he took about four or five rounds um, to um, the interior of his um, shoulder socket, to the interior, like the the most interior of your clavicle bone and back out the shoulder blade, and those were all from uh, PKM. I think that's like a 7.62 by 5.4, so like a little bit bigger than AK round. Um, that was pretty gnarly. Um, we're still pretty close now. Um, you know, I just seen him at, we just had a big 2-9 reunion the other weekend in uh, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and uh, <laughs> we joke about it, and he's like, dude, you've been inside me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped uh, his, uh, he had a, um, God, I forget the medical terminology for it now, um, he had a subclavicular uh, uh, artery tear, um, I stopped that, um, I stopped that bleeding, um, saved his life, um, but I did have my hands literally between his trap and his collarbone, about middle of my hand, inside of his chest cavity, it's pretty gnarly. Wow. Um, yeah, but he's doing good now. He's a cop, <laughs> so <laughs> he's doing good. So, um, you know, one thing you know I, I really like about the Navy, or, or not even the Navy, just the military, is just like how, like how fast you become close to you know, you know these these people that you're out there with, and you know you're yep. you're like ringing off their names like it was yesterday, and you know it's close to you know 10 years ago and it's just something that's really you know fascinating to me and you know i think i think it's really cool how it just kind of um implants itself in in your head you know and then and then how close you guys stay um you know it's it's pretty neat how you guys did that meet up and, and stuff like that is that something that's pretty common like throughout the marine corps um, um i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure i don't know like how i don't know how the other units and stuff do stuff like that but um you know, we hadn't seen each other since, you know, some of us, some of those guys obviously got out um, after that deployment for either medical reasons or, you know, what have you. There was just the end of their, their active duty service or whatever. Um, and we've always been able to, through social media and, like, text messaging and stuff, been able to stay close and kind of figure out what's going on in each other's lives. And um, it's been pretty awesome that way. Um, I know one thing, like, um, with Michael... Um, 
I know my family, um, myself, my wife, all three of my kids, um, um, when we were living on the East Coast, we would make it a point every year to go up and see Nancy, uh, which is Michael's mom, and their family. They have a huge, beautiful family up there, um, you know, but you can tell, like, she likes to be, she likes to see the the young men that were with Michael when that happened, and, and the coolest thing is, man, is, like, I, there's been so many times where we, we've gone up there, like, every year for such a long time now, where we go up there and we see like, you know, Angus and Krista and like all of the, all the family members and Joyce. And I, I mean, we see everybody up there, um, uh, in Michael's family. And the cool thing is, it's not just me that goes up there. It's, you got Delcor, you have, um, you have Pepe, you have uh, Bonilla, you have all these Novak, you have all these guys that like make the trip from wherever they're at and they find out one of us is going and there's like, seven or eight of us that show up at Nancy's house like, hey, what's up? What's up, Mom? Right. <laughs> and she just opens up her house like, you know, nothing, no big deal. She just opens it up and, you know, we all hang out there for like three or four days and we have a good time. We talk about all the funny stuff that uh, Mike used to do. I mean, the kid had the epitome of an Irish temper. Like, <laughs> you'd walk through a cotton field or a cornfield and if the kid tripped up on something, he's punching corn stalks, cussing him out, saying, fuck you, and, <laughs> you know, butt-stroking corn stalks, and, you know, like, that's how we all remember Michael, is, like, he just had that crazy temper, but he was such a good guy, um, but we all like to go up there, and, you know, we, we pay we pay our tributes, and we, we go visit Michael um, up there in uh, Derry, New Hampshire, and, you know, it, it's pretty cool to see that you have, like, a group of guys that live all over the country willing to make that trip just to go pay their respects and hang out with his mom and you know it's kind of a hard deal I mean it's our only kid you know right so it's pretty cool that we're all you 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 your their family becomes your family too you know well, I'm sure she kind of you know looks at all you guys as as kind of like her kids now um, yeah oh and she totally treats us like <laughs> she's like we're she's like oh you know <laughs> you better do this or you know She's she's just a, she's a great woman, and you know, and it's it's really hard sometimes. Like I know, for her, and like you have all the other families, you know. I mean, throughout all the branches of military, you know, right. people lose a kid to war. They're the mom or the the mom or the father. The parents are never the same again. Yeah, I mean, I I, mean, I can only imagine. I mean, luckily, I really haven't uh, experienced anything like that. But um, yeah, I can really only imagine, and especially you know, going through it. You know, seeing it firsthand, like you know, kind of like you did, um, it's crazy to me. It's I, I can only imagine, and you know, and, and, and I'm active duty, and, and a lot of people think like you know, every, if you're active duty, like you see that stuff all the time. Like you know, very few of us kind of get exposed to that kind of stuff, and um, I appreciate it <laughs> a, a lot. Um, so how? How much longer were you uh, on that deployment? So you, those two casualties happen, happened in December. How much longer were you guys there and, until you came home? Oh, man. Um, let's see. Um, I think I made it home just after the first part of April. Oh, so uh, I know there's, yeah, we were there for a good while. Yeah, yeah. You know, we saw a lot more, um, a lot more things. More people got hurt. Um, didn't lose any more people in our platoon, in first platoon, but we did have other casualties that, you know, 
that we took and they were, you know, taken after the fact. But I mean, um, yeah, we were there for a little bit while, for a little while longer. Were you out there for, cause I believe Dakota Meyer, that was around the time he got his medal of honor. Were you guys out there? Cause I believe it was 2000. Actually, no, 2010 is when he got it. I think 2009 is when it happened. So that was before yeah. you. No. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, you, you get home, you, you finally meet your, you know, your second kid. Like what's, is that, you know, a super, it was sur- a trip. super <laughs> surreal feeling. Yeah. You know, just, yeah, it, was, it was, it was definitely a trip. It was like, look, crap, I got my wife and I remember that little squirt right there. And I got this new little guy right here that I got to meet up with. And that was, it was, it was intense. It was really an emotional thing. I definitely, definitely cried a little bit. Oh, rightfully um, so. <laughs> yeah. I'm just so grateful to be home and yeah, you know, it sounds really dumb and it sounds really petty, but honestly like one of the one of the things I just like got a complete thrill out of and like it's so weird, but being able to take like an actual shower was awesome. And like actually being able to like get myself clean and, and like take a shower in my own house and like use a bathroom and not go in a bag or right. you know, I didn't have to use a water bottle to get clean anymore. I was like, God, this is amazing. And then, you know, and I get to see my wife every day and I'm not talking to her on a phone like every couple of weeks, you know, where we were at, we didn't have internet or didn't have phones or anything like that. It was just one satellite phone for an entire platoon. You can imagine how that gets when you got a bunch of guys that are married with kids and right. yeah, it gets sure. a little, a little rough. People get sure kind of mean with each other. Doesn't work all the time too. Oh yeah. That was yeah. one of the biggest pain in the asses where you get shot at while you're on the phone. That sucks. <laughs> Oh man! Like, oh yeah, hey, I'm good. And then you hear, kak, 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 kak. I gotta go. And then you hang up. <laughs> so, um, so how does that work when you get back? Do you like switch platoons or or divisions, or do you do you stay? No, you just the same? you just kind of go through like a decompression phase. You got to go through a ton of classes, like the whole don't beat your dog and don't drink alcohol and don't beat your wife and don't beat your kids. And this isn't Afghanistan. You can't shoot people <laughs> kind of classes. And was your transition pretty easy? Would you say, or, uh, it had its up and down. It had its ups and downs. Um, the overall experience of like coming home was, it was really great. And it was, it, sometimes it got a little overwhelming because like, I think for like the first two months I didn't want to drive in my truck. Like I didn't want to drive my truck around and like you're always looking at bushes and stuff and I didn't want to drive around because I, I would get too distracted um, but um, overall it was awesome um, coming home and being able to be with my kids and my wife and you know it was, it was an awesome feeling to be home but then you had like the other side of it where you kind of have the depression phase where you realize that the guys that didn't make it home right. then it kind of turned dark sometimes and it was it was pretty difficult to get over all that stuff. So how much uh, you're you're still at Lejeune, right? I'm assuming at this point you're still stationed there. No, no, I'm actually no. I'm living out in California and I work out in Reno now. Oh, oh I mean, no, no, uh, oh no, 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 back then, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, okay. sorry, sorry, totally yeah. lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I was still I was still with Second Battalion, Ninth Marines. Uh, I was still in First Squad, First Platoon. Um, and I stayed, I stayed with 1st Squad, 1st Platoon, um, up until my last couple of months. We got some new corpsmen that came in. And then um, 
for um, first platoon. I was a senior line corpsman um, for Fox Company. And, um, you know, I was just kind of running through some of the stuff with the guys like, hey, you know, we're, we're deploying again. And, I mean, we deployed seven months after I got back to the same AO, the same place we came from. And that was a mind, that was a mind trip in its own. Like, you're going back to the same area, same people. And so, you had all these hostile feelings, and that was not a good thing. So you weren't even home for, for a whole year before you No, I yeah, we deployed literally seven months after I got back. Wow. So, go, I mean, going back to the, the, the same area, were you, there, were you there the whole time again? Yep. Yeah, another seven months in the same exact AO. Yeah, how, I mean, how was that, you know, thinking back to, you know, the, the two guys that, that you've lost on the first deployment, kind of a you know having that um not saying having to relive that but but being you know in the same place where that had happened and um i'd say there was a lot of anim uh, animosity the feeling of like redemption you wanted to kind of go back out there and and kind of seek revenge on stuff um but our ROEs were a lot different on our second deployment than our first one did you find that ever like uh, clouding your judgment at all? Um, honestly, sometimes, yeah. Like, sometimes you kind of went out there with, like, um, ill intent, I mm -hmm. would say. Not necessarily, like, you didn't really want to stick to the game plan, but you had a game plan, and you know how the military works. Like, there's no, you can't deviate, and you can't go rogue. Right. Um, but it was definitely in the back of my mind, like, you know, you'd come through some of the same corn and cotton fields you'd go through before and you'd see somebody out there and you're like, I know who that is. And you're like, just want to, you know, not necessarily do the right thing. Gotcha. So is this 2010, 11, this 2000, 2011, 11. Okay. Yeah. So like, kind of like you said, like the rules of engagement were a lot different because yeah, we're a kinda... lot more, they were a lot more stringent. They didn't want us going out there like we did on 2010. Right. 2010, we were kind of cowboys. We just did whatever. Because things are kind of winding down at this point, right? Right, right. Yeah. They were the 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 area was more in like a stabilizing phase more than a taking over phase. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, did we have a? Because you said on their first deployment, it was a pretty um a hostile area. Like the Taliban pretty much controlled it. When you guys went back the second time, was it more of you know, our territory, or did they still have a lot of control? Um, they still had a pretty good amount of influence. Um, the only thing that worked in our favor is they knew our unit had been there before. Mm -hmm. They didn't try to try the same stuff that they tried our first time because we didn't we didn't play very nice our first deployment. Um, I actually on um, on Facebook we have um, our. Um, company commander out there, uh, Captain Captain Inocchio, he talked about some of the stuff that we did over there. And, you know, sometimes we're not privy to what, like, the knowledge that the, the higher-ups receive from, you know, above them, even. Right. Um, but our first deployment, we had the highest... We had... We, we killed the most amount of <laughs> terrorists, pretty much, and we had the highest amount of um, hellfires fired, gun runs, and bombs dropped out of any unit that ever went into Marsha. Even to this day, we we murked the most amount of people. I mean, it was insane how kinetic it was on that first deployment. Um, 
it was pretty intense. So your your guys is would you say like your first deployment is was kind of like the uh, let's say the turning point of kind of taking the area over, but you guys did like a lot of damage and, and kind of took some land back from them. I think we did a lot of damage, and then I think our um, our unit that replaced us they kept that tempo up, and they didn't they didn't lose any any ground that we we had gained, uh, which I think is is phenomenal. Um, it just says a lot about how the Marine Corps does things, you know, like, I mean, they, I, I've never served with, you know, army guys or anything like that, but I would never, I would never put it past the Marine Corps to be the best guys on the ground. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> those guys, those guys, it's, I mean, they're, they're a hammer to a nail. I mean, they just, they go out there and they just get stuff done. So this second deployment, um, since things are kind of winding down and, and, you know, we're not allowed to do as much stuff as, you know, we once were, is this kind of the, the time where the, um, like, uh, one of my buddies that I had a couple episodes ago, he was with the National Guard, and he got sent out there, and he was kind of, like, embedded with the Afghan army, where mm-hmm. you guys just kind of, um, or where they just kind of advised, but the Afghan army kind of did everything, because we're, we're kind of like a transition phase and kind of giving them control. Was this second deployment kind of, did you guys work more with the Afghan army or were you still just kind of by yourself? No, we, we definitely worked a lot more with the, um, the Afghan national army. Um, I know, um, uh, my first sergeant at the time on my second deployment, um, first Sergeant McMillan and, um, I can't remember my, uh, CEO's name anymore. Um, darn it. Uh, no, it was, uh, it was Captain Clark. Yeah, it was Clark was um our CEO yeah uh, <clears throat> anyway um they had actually established um basically I ended up training a lot of the Afghan National Army guys um um in the field of medicine so like they would do stuff like um we had like a group of guys and we broke them into like a couple different groups and you know they would spend some time with um different facets of um the Marines. So like they'd be broken down into like sometimes you'd have like an O three fifty one or an O three eleven or you'd have like eighty four oh four corpsmen. And I would teach a lot of the medical classes. Um I teach a lot of medical classes like, you know, basic first aid, um, basic trauma, um, T triple C stuff. Um <clears throat> I would teach that stuff to them. I mean, their ability to grasp some of the knowledge was a little bit the knowledge is a little bit further than what they could tangibly get. Mm-hmm. Um, but we worked, lo- we worked a lot more with them. Um, we even facilitated, sometimes we would almost be like a spectator. They would run their own patrols. We would watch how they would set up, um, um, they would do like their briefs and stuff before they went out. We'd kind of go, we'd kind of watch them set up a brief and then we'd go on patrol with them and watch them patrol. And we would basically provide them security in case stuff popped off. Were they, um... <clears throat> Were they like a good group of guys? Did you guys like really get along with them, or? Uh, we had we had some we had some, uh, <laughs> and we didn't always necessarily agree on everything. Um, they did stuff differently than what we typically like to do. Um, we had some trust issues with them a couple times in our PB. Um, so were you sharing a, a base with them at this point? Um, yeah, yeah, we shared. They had they had one section of the the base was theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't allowed to come over to ours at nighttime and stuff like that because, um, unfortunately, we had one of them kill one of our Marines on uh, post. Yeah. That, did um, you have 
So and the my buddy that, that was... <clears throat> I interviewed, he was with on Fob Lightning. I'm not sure if that was anywhere mm. by you. No, no, I haven't heard of that one. Um, but uh, I think it's kind of by like Kab- Kabul. Kab- Kabul. Okay, yeah, yeah. You guys were a little ways. That was a little ways away from where we were. Okay, and he kind of had he um he had some stories kind of where like you know certain guys would like disappear for like a month or two and then just kind of show back up which was kind of yeah. like you know kind of sketchy yep yeah we had the same kind of issues we actually didn't let them back in our patrol base after that um yeah unfortunately we had um uh, lance corporal dykus was actually doing a, a post and one of them came up and shot him um what he was an a and a guy was relieving him oh he tried to run we caught him <laughs> It wasn't good for him. It wasn't good for that 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 A and A guy. It was it was not a not a healthy situation for him. But and then it kind of put everybody on on edge. Like uh, actually, for Sergeant McMillan and our CO, they actually had to keep us at bay because we wanted nothing more to go over to the A and A's and do do some stuff, do some right. work. Because you you don't know which one you could trust and which one you couldn't. And I'm basically, sure. yeah, everybody had kind of a sketchy feeling with any of those guys, um, especially after that incident happened, um, our trust with them was almost dismal, like zero. Um, I don't know. That was a really crappy situation. Um, You know, that must kind of feel, um, I mean, uh, almost like a sense of betrayal because, you know, you guys are there kind of training them. Oh, absolutely. Trying to give them, you know, their country back to them and, and, you know, they... They go do something like that, but I mean, yep, absolutely. Kind of looking back now at it, um, I mean, I'm sure obviously emotions are still high, but is it a little bit easier to kind of uh, like compartmentalize that, like saying like you know maybe that guy wasn't really, you know, uh, an A and A guy. He was just kind of you know, he was just yeah, he was just basically like a, an infiltrator, a terrorist, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he obviously infiltrated them, and you know. He played a game, and it cost us. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say I hate all ANA. Um, there were some good guys out there, and they were some of those guys were some real gunfighters, and they actually wanted to do something good for their country. And you know, you can't you can't down them for that because they have a couple of bad apples. I mean, we obviously have that issue in America where you right. have, you know, these turds that go out there and they hurt innocent people all the time. You know, like you, you can't classify. A group of people just because you have a couple bad apples, you know. Right. Yep. But I, I mean, obviously, at the time, it's a little bit hard to, to think like that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, at the time, it was not that 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 was not the thought process at that yeah. time. So, um, any kind of so, so since this deployment was kind of, uh, um, you know, obviously a little bit different. Did, did you experience any kind of uh, U.S. casualties during this deployment at all, or no? Um, we, we took some, uh, we, we took a couple, a couple, um, we got into quite a few, we still got into quite a few firefights. I mean, um, the second one, it was nothing like the first one. Um, but we, we still got into a healthy amount of ticks. I mean, we were, we wouldn't go a month without getting into a firefight. That's for sure. I mean, we'd be going like maybe a week or two without a firefight and then we'd get into a pretty gnarly one where it lasts a couple hours and then. But as for taking casualties, it didn't happen that often. Um, but yeah, we it, it wasn't it wasn't as kinetic as the first one. 
um, and this was also a seven month deployment. Yeah. Same, same yep. kind of length. Yep. Yep. Uh, that deployment, I think we started sometime around December. It was like just before Christmas, which kind of sucked. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, always missing Christmas. Yeah, always missing Christmas. Damn it. <laughs> I think that's a. I think that's a trick of the trade. I think they do that shit on purpose. <laughs> like you don't need Christmas. We 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 deploy during Christmas. We bring them gifts. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I mean every every deployment. I mean, either even if it's not a super kinetic one, every one of them has challenges you gotta overcome, and you, you gotta. You got to use your training, and you got to think outside the box a lot of the times, which I think is one of the Marine Corps' specialties is being able to adapt to things and, and make things happen. I mean, I don't think there's another branch of the service that does it better than the Marine Corps as far as, you know, ad- adaptability. Yeah, it's, de- it's definitely, um, you know, being in the in the corpsman world now and, and, and kind of experiencing that side of of the Navy and more of, you know, the, the Marine side and hearing all the stories. Um, so, I mean, my, like I said, my first four years in the Navy, I, uh, I was in the subforce, and corpsmen to me were just the, you know, the guys at the clinic that wouldn't make me an appointment, you know? Yeah. And, I, yep. you know, I, 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 I kind of, like, did You get really frustrated with them sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and, like, that's what I thought, like, a corpsman was, you know? And then I... Uh, you know, I, I end up getting injured. I, I get medically disqualified from subs, and then you know I get force converted uh, into being a corpsman. Um, and then I get the core school, and and you know they they take a lot of. I'm not sure if you ever seen the like Fort Sam Houston schoolhouse, and no, I haven't um, seen any of that. But as soon as you walk in, uh, right to the to the left, they have like a bunch of um, like memorabilia memorabilia from you know the Great Lakes schoolhouse and, and all that stuff and then on the right it's just a huge wall of pictures and it's every um, HM or uh, um, or corpsman casualty uh, that that we've had in you know Iraq and Afghanistan mm-hmm. um, and and there's a shitload of pictures there unfortunately um, and it's you know it was it was like wow you know like it was it was a huge eye-opener for me um, and kind of, uh, you know, uh, kind of like your experience, a lot of my instructors, you know, had war stories and um, a lot of the, especially a lot of the chiefs at, at this point. Um, yeah. Pretty much like one, the one chief I had, Chief Pill, uh, he had a purple heart. He had like two hearing aids because uh, he's blown up multiple times. And um, it was just a huge eye opener for me. And I forgot why I got into this rant, but uh, just the. Um, because I mean, when you're an FMF corpsman, you're essentially part of the Marines. Like you know, you're you're not really yeah. in the you're not really in the Navy anymore. Um, and just like <clears> the <throat> just the mindset and and the uh, you guys are just different kind of people, and you you can tell that as soon as in a good way, obviously. <laughs> and and you you can just kind of tell that as soon as you meet meet um meet one of you guys. So yeah, uh, I think that's one of the reasons why like. <clears throat> You know, like my last my last duty station being stationed at Kings Bay, I had a lot of frustrations when I first got there because you know I was so used to medical being one way, right. and you you have to basically like rethink of how you do medicine, and that's one of the reasons why I didn't really see patients when I went to Kings Bay. I, mean, I told them I was like straight up like, hey, you know, I can't really do the whole dependence thing, and like you know a lot of the stuff from deployment was still pretty fresh in my memory. Um, you know, I I had worked on some kids when I was in Afghanistan on my first deployment that. You know, we had 
I mean, it's unfortunate, but it happens in war. You know, kids get hurt. Right. Um, enemy fire, friendly fire. Um, and I had lost a couple kids that I worked on. And, you know, my son now is at the same age as um, one of the kids I worked on in Afghanistan. He took a, two gunshot wounds to the chest and ended up losing the kid. And I worked on him for a good while. But, you know, they, they, they prioritize um, uh, the Marine Corps casualties at one precedence, and then you have another precedence for the local nationals, you know, and we already had an injured Marine on, on the ground and a different AO, and I was working on this kid for a long time and ended up losing him, and that really hit, that, that was really hard for me to deal with, and it still messes with me sometimes now, but, you know, like, I, when I got to the clinic, I was like, I don't want to work on, like, little kids here, I mean, they're crying because they have, you know, they might have cyanitis or they have, like, a strep throat or something like that, and they're crying. And, I've, I mean, I've seen little kids get hit with RPGs and they have holes in their legs and they're not even crying. They just want to sucker. Right. You know, and it's like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with all that. Right. And then, you know, you have other fellow FMF guys like, you know, at Fagoli and um, HM2 Roberts out there. And, you know, they, they, they had seen some stuff and they'd been through their own things. And, you know, and like, it, it's when you find people that have been through stuff like that, it makes the work day a lot easier because you can go hang out with them for – you know, 20, 30 minutes, shoot the shit, and kind of get stuff off your chest, and kind of laugh at stuff that you see there at the clinic, and you're kind of like, eh, you know, it's not a big deal. Right. And you got people freaking out because they got a kid that's throwing up, and it's like, it's not that big a deal. Just calm down. You're making the kid feel worse because you're freaking out. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's it's, um, you know, w- without going you know deep into it, I could definitely see why that place you know would would be frustrating to, um, to guys. You know that that went through what you went through. It's just a whole, whole different animal of, of medicine, and you know that was my first place being a corpsman person. It was aggravating for me, so I can only imagine you know just totally having to switch gears the way that you guys had to 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 go to a place like that. And and how um how uh, much time was between your second deployment and and you going to that clinic to the Kings Bay Clinic? Um. <clears throat> I think it was a good, it was probably about seven or eight months. Probably about, oh, I'd say probably closer to about nine to ten months, actually. Okay, so um, you kind of had before, some, a little bit of time to readjust. Yeah, but, I mean, it was still hanging out with the same old boys. True. And, you know, and then going to Kings Bay, I kind of lost that support network. You know, I couldn't go to the barracks and hang out with some of the senior Marines or go to their house and, you know, I always had an open house. If if I had one of my Marines was having a tough time, because, you know, we all went through tough times coming back from the first one, they'd come over, we'd hang out and, you know, barbecue, and, you know, their kids would hang out with my kids. And we'd, it, was, it was a good way to decompress when you can, you know, get together and just kind of not think about work. And mm-hmm. you get to just kind of see how everybody's family's doing. and Just enjoy you each get other. To King, yeah, and you get to King's Bay and you're kind of like, dang it. Yeah. Kind of miss that support network that I had up there and, So, uh, did you choose to, to go to Kings Bay or was it just kind of... Yeah, I chose to go to Kings Bay. The other options I had weren't really good ones. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'll take it. It seems like it would be a pretty easy to do station. You know what? I had a good time. I had a really good time at Kings Bay. Um, had it, pro- it had its pros and cons, but overall experience, um, I don't think I really ever had a bad, a bad duty station. I mean, I only had two, but you got to take the good with the bad and most of the time it always outweighed the bad. Yeah. So, it's all what you do with it. Uh, did you, uh, you know, kind of plan on getting out after Kings Bay? Was that something that was like, 
you know, you kind of made up your mind before you even got there, or or was it just? No, I I wanted to go to Kings Bay and then come back to, come back to uh, division, um, and I got there and, you know, I didn't pick up rank like I wanted to, um, didn't pick up the rank that I wanted to, and then uh, started getting to that point where I was kind of like, you know, there was a lot of changes that happened in the Navy with policies and stuff like that, and I didn't typically agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, then I started going through. Um, the training for, um, I was actually thinking about becoming a dive med tech. Um, I passed the physical portion of it, and then, you know, I was really starting to think about it, and it was a long pipeline, a long, a long time in school, and really wouldn't be able to bring my family, and being at Kings Bay, I got so accustomed to coming home with my, coming home to my kids and picking them up and coaching all their sports, and I was kind of like, you know, maybe it's time to get out of the, the gun club and just kind of do, do my own thing. And that's kind of what led me to going back to, you know, first Civ Div. <laughs> are you um? Are you happy? You know, with with the decision that you made. Yeah, there... I mean, I still I still miss I miss being in the military at times. But then there's times where I'm like, God, I'm so glad I don't have to do that anymore. You know. Yeah. I mean, there every everything has its pros and cons. I mean, you can't always have it have it your way. Um, but overall, yeah, I'm, I'm really satisfied with the choice I made. I get to spend every day with my kids. I don't have to worry about getting deployed anymore. Um, you know, like my kids are getting older now, so at the, they're at the stage where you can start doing way more fun stuff with them. They start getting kind of crazy, and you get to be like, oh, man, you need to slow down, dude. Enjoy being a kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I hear you, man. I, right now I'm, uh, uh, I'm on a ship now. I'm on a destroyer. But it's a uh, it's a precom, so I'm TAD for like the next year and a half away from the wife and kids. They're down in Kings Bay still, and I'm right now I'm in Norfolk, and then in two weeks I go down to Mississippi to the shipyard, and I'll be there for about a year. <clears throat> That's rough, man, and I can feel for you, man. I mean, being away from being away from your kids, and then it's a whole nother ballpark when you're away from your wife. And we won't get into that, but we know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it, I mean, it, it makes it rough. I mean, it's it's hard on your marriage. It's hard on a lot of things. And like, um, it, it there's nothing like being at home with your family. Yeah. And that's that's one of the fruits of you know when you're out. I get to come home to see my wife every day. Now I live closer to my family. I don't live across the country, so I can go see my parents whenever I want. You know, and go see my in-laws. You know, it, it's it. You have your pros and your cons. All right, man. Well, um. We've we've actually been going for two hours, almost two exactly. Holy uh, crap! <laughs> yeah, one hour and fifty eight minutes. Um, I just always kind of want to. Uh, at, at the end of all all my episodes, I just just pretty much want to say, you know, thank you for everything that you've done. Um, you know, you. you oh, done you don't have, you don't have to thank me, man. You nah, don't have to thank me. I, I, I want to. Um, <laughs> you know, you you were. Uh, you know, you're out there on the battlefield when I was still, you know, fucking around in Jersey before, you know, I wasn't even in the Navy yet. And, um, you kept, kept me safe and kept a lot of people safe. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I, I appreciate it. And, um, I appreciate you taking your time to, to come on here and kind of tell your story. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just think it's something that kind of like we said before, you know, just, there's a lot of stories about the war that everyone knows, and I, there's a lot more that people don't know. And I'm just trying to—that's what I'm trying to use this platform to do. So, 
Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty cool thing that you're doing. I mean, um, I just want to, you know, if I if I if I can't, if it's cool, but I just want to say, you know, I I want to say thank you to you know all the all the service members and stuff that you know aren't here with us anymore. Um, they they're the ones that we should be thanking. I mean, they I mean they they literally paid the most the most you know they put out the most tribute to the, to our country, and I think it's cool that you get to you put yourself out there to interview you know, bums like me, but we get to tell and let those guys, you know, let their stories keep living too through, through our words. So that way they're, they're never forgotten. You know, I think it's really cool that you got a, an outlet where you can kind of put that out there for people so they can understand all the stuff that people go through to, to let people live the way that we live. Definitely. 100%. And, and thank you for, you know, sharing those people's names. Uh, you know, like you said, they're kind of, now that this podcast will be on the internet, you know, for, yeah, they're, for they're days to come, they're there forever now. Um, yeah. And they deserve that. So, uh, you know, thank you again, Tom. I appreciate it. Um, obviously, keep in touch. Um, and, uh, you know, thank you again. Maybe we can do this again sometime, some other time. All right, time. man. Yeah, sounds good. All right, All right brother. You have yourself right, brother. a good Take night. Care. You Oh, oh, oh.